1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Things don't go wrong, they start wrong.
1: Yep, we're talking about prenups.
3: My future wife will sign a prenup.
1: To have or not to have, that's the million dollar question.
3: Someone, someone is saying right now, but I'm I'm a Christian. <laughs> And I feel that like if I sign a prenup, I don't have faith. Like I believe that my marriage is just going to end. A prenup is the best insurance you will ever have in your life.
1: You're gonna wanna take notes on today's show. And let us know in the comment section below, how do you feel about prenups? Now, before we hop into today's show, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe so you can be notified every single time we drop a new video. Alrighty now, let's jump into the show. Hey, yeah.
3: Welcome to the table. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get real. We're going to get right. Oh, right. building up wealth. We're going to get life. Welcome to the table. Well, yeah. Welcome to the table. Well. life. Welcome to the table. 40% of all engagement proposals occur cured. is interesting. Between the month of November and February. So a lot of people uh, right now are... Uh, contemplating, um, proposing, brothers, congratulations. And if you just recently got engaged, hey, congratulations. Um, and about to make that, make that move. As younger couples are tying to knot, watch this, you guys, a growing trend in prenups are happening. I love it. I just love it. Gen Z, 41% of Gen Z respondents who are engaged or have been married said that they entered into a prenup prior to getting married. 47% of my crew, the millennial crew, respondents who are engaged or have been married said that they entered into a prenup. So nearly 50% of people in the millennials are saying prenup. 41% of Gen Z are saying prenup, prenup, prenup. And oftentimes when I say prenup, I think a lot of people um, are scared of the word prenup, one, because of the lack of education around prenups. Uh, Two, I think we've seen the mishandling of prenups in the past uh, from um, celebrities, per se, right? And so I remember I was recently on a stage somewhere And they asked me my thoughts on prenups. And you guys know me. I'm all for a prenup. My future wife will sign a prenup. I will sign a prenup, you know, because I want to protect both of us. Uh, But there is this narrative inside of the Christian community that if you sign a prenup, you're already saying your marriage is going to fail. And I was like, I just don't feel that way. I I don't feel as if if I marry someone, I'm walking into it saying it's going to fail. I I don't believe that I, I lack faith. Because I have a prenup, you know, and so while I was on this stage, I got off the stage and uh, an amazing lazy lady uh, told me about uh, this guy named Aaron Thomas. And when I looked him up, man, he has a book called The Prenup Prescription. Meet the premarital contract designed to watch this. You guys save your marriage. So he's changing his whole narrative of, hey, the prenup actually saves your marriage. It doesn't hurt the marriage. And so as I was looking him up, because I really want to make sure that I have the right person on the show to have this conversation, especially as we're in 2024, especially as people are proposing right now and as we're dating, I'm dating. Right. How do we have this conversation? Because I really do believe that if you have a little bit of something, something and that's all of us, there's a part of me that believes that you're not being a good steward of your resources if you're not having a prenup, if you're not having the conversation of a prenup. And so, again, I'm not married. I'm not a legal expert in this field, but I've seen prenups save people millions of dollars. I've, I've seen prenups save people homes, save people careers, save people livelihood, because who they married 20 years ago loved them, and they were able to come to terms when love was there. But then when they broke up, love wasn't there. But their prenup was, (laughs) and it saved not just them, but it even saved their families, their kids, that experience. So y'all, today we're going to talk about how prenups can really save your marriage. And we have uh, the attorney himself, the guy who has been in this field for years um, at the table today. I I called him and said, hey, man, I need you to come. I don't want to do this over Zoom. I need you to come into town. Uh, because I want to have an in-depth conversation about everything around marriage. Like, this is not just going to be prenups. It's cool. I really want us to get educated on what is marriage. Like, when we just sit down, not spiritually. Because some of y'all Christian people are going to say, oh, I know what marriage is. I know what the Bible says. I'm with you. Okay? Uh, but we're going to break it all down today. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, Aaron is in the building. What's going on, Aaron? That was a long intro. I'm sorry, bro. I had to set it up, though.
2: No, no. Thank you for that. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's man. a pleasure to be here. Thank you, man, for 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 coming. Uh,
3: the prenup prescription. Um, I want to get straight into it because I think people watching this show, are like, all right, let's let's understand this, right? Um, and I'm opening up your book because y'all, this book is amazing. We we are going to link his book in today's show notes, onto where you can check it out. Uh, but, Aaron, what exactly is marriage? And and I say marriage, I'm not talking about. From the spiritual angle, we know what that is. Right. But on paper, throughout the United States of America, what exactly is
2: marriage? Marriage is the most important financial contract that you ever sign in your life. This man just said financial contract. And a lot of people are going to have a visceral reaction to hearing that. Obviously, that's not the only thing that marriage is. But. You go to a courthouse and fill out paperwork when you get married. There's obviously wide-ranging legal implications to the fact of getting married. A lot of people look at it as, you know, two people becoming one, um, certainly in the romantic sense or the spiritual sense, but also legally in a financial sense, Mm -hmm. you are becoming one Mm -hmm. couple, one entity in the eyes of the law. Mm
3: -hmm. So... Break that down. So when you say financial in the eyes of the law, right, that means bank accounts are all the same. Now, when I get married, let's say me and my wife get married, my debt becomes her debt. Her debt becomes
2: my debt. So there's, there's something that I call uh, the one paycheck rule because okay. it's a little bit more complicated than that. Let's break it down. Um, when you get married and you get that first paycheck, okay. a little bit goes into your checking, a little bit goes into your savings account a little bit goes to pay off a mortgage or to pay on a car, um, and it goes in all these different places. Most people know that whatever you bring into your marriage is considered your separate property. You're supposed to keep it. You're supposed to hold on to what you have coming in, and you know, what you build together is, is the hours. Yeah. What a lot of people don't know is everything that that first paycheck touches has now been commingled Whoa. in the eyes of the law. And if there is ever a need to separate your assets back out, it's the burden of the person who's trying to establish their separate property to prove how much in your retirement account is from your premarital contributions and how much is from your contributions during the marriage or how much of the equity in your house came from uh, money that you earned prior to the marriage and how much came from your contributions after the marriage and a lot of people think, wait, but the house is in my name. The retirement account's in my name. They didn't pay any of these bills. They didn't pay the mortgage. What do you mean that I have to split my retirement or my house where I'm the only one who contributed to it? And in the the eyes of the law, it doesn't matter whose name is on the bank account. It doesn't matter whose name is on the title to your house. If you contributed money that you earned during the marriage, then a portion of whatever that asset is, is considered marital property and is up for division if that marriage comes to an end.
3: This is why we had the expert in the building, because you just made me upset. You just said if her name is not on the title of the mortgage or his name, if her credit wasn't pooled, but if we're married and she put $500 into the bank account and this is the same bank account that the mortgage came out of, she could legally say, I helped pay for the
2: mortgage. And And her name is nowhere on the documents. And even if she didn't pay a dime towards it, your money that you earn over the course of your marriage is considered marital property. Every dollar that you earn during your marriage is considered to have been earned by the two of you. Okay, 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 okay. This is
3: why he's here. So let's say, Aaron... I'm married. She's married. I put my money into Bank of America. She puts her money into Wells Fargo, but we're married. We keep our money completely separate. Then let's say we have a bank at uh, BB&T and I put 50 percent of the mortgage into BB&T. She puts 50 percent of the mortgage into BB&T. Is she still, as my legal wife, Is she still held liable? Like, can she still come after some of my money that's in my bank account as my wife if we were to divorce? Although we're not on the same bank account, we put our money in in, in a separate account that paid the bills. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, (laughs) And that's why I say that, you know, not only is marriage a financial contract, it's a contract that nobody's read. And the first time that people find out what this contract says, most people, is when they're sitting in a divorce lawyer's office 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And they're saying, Aaron, what do you mean I have to split my retirement, my house, my car? Hold
3: on, hold on, Aaron. Wait, pause, pause, pause. This is—my blood pressure is getting high. So you're trying to tell me if I have a, if I have a 401K that's coming from my job— and I put it in there, she's never contributed to the 401k. She also, because because she's my wife or because he's her husband, they gotta split all of that.
2: They have to split all of that.
3: Recently, I've completed my full estate plan, and it's been an emotional journey if I'm gonna be honest with you. But now I have a peace of mind knowing that my family and loved ones are well taken care of. But here's something you may not know that I think you need to know. According to a recent study, nearly 60% of African-American adults have life insurance. Now, wait a minute. Many of these policies may not provide sufficient coverage to fully protect their families in case of unexpected deaths. This lack of adequate coverage is a pressing issue among the black community. It can lead to financial difficulties and potentially hinder the building of generational wealth. In today's time, it's more important than ever for African-Americans to give priority to life insurance and estate planning. You see, by doing so, you can ensure that your loved ones are secure in the event of your passing. This covers funeral and burial costs, clears all debts and mortgages and provides a financial cushion to help them continue building wealth, long lasting wealth. Don't leave your family's financial future to chance. I want you to secure life insurance today. I want you to get a free life insurance quote through my friends at Ethos. All you gotta do is go to anthonyonell.com forward slash life insurance. Again, that is anthonyonell.com forward slash life insurance for your free quote or click the link in today's show notes. Protect your family's future and attain a peace of mind. at right now and let's get back to today's show. This goes back to what you just said. It is the most important financial contract in your life. Because she gets access, he gets access to anything and everything. You get married on July 1st of... You get married on January 1st of 2024. January 2nd, any income that comes in after that, spouses have access to all that.
2: It's all considered marital property up for division. And that's why I also say that, you know, people who are kind of anti-prenup, if you are married, you have a prenup. You either have your own customized prenup where you have chosen the terms for it, or you are accepting the default prenup that was written by the state that you happen to live in probably over a hundred years ago. And the more time goes on, the less likely it is that that prenup is going to fit the terms of your marriage, what you expect your marriage to be. Wow. What state do you live in? I live in Georgia. All
3: right, let's talk about Georgia. Uh, but you can do prenups in all. Your company does prenups in all states, right? That's right. Okay, go cool. ahead. But let's talk about Georgia, since you live there, right? So um, break that down, because I've said that before, and people's like, nah, man, you know, it's, it's not that bad. And I'm like... But why, because here's my philosophy, and correct me if I'm wrong, why do I want the state of Georgia to tell me what's going to happen rather than me and my wife just figure out what's going to happen up front, right? So let's paint a picture of, let's, let's just talk about divorces. Um, how, on average, how much does a divorce cost on average in the, state of, in, in the state of Georgia? Just on basic level.
2: Yes, on average, each spouse is going to spend $15,000 in attorney's fees during their divorce case. Um, The average contested divorce takes at least a year to complete in post-COVID days with all the backups from the courts, sometimes it's a year and a half. I have personally worked on a divorce case that lasted four years, and our client alone paid over a million dollars in legal fees over the course of those four years. And the more money that you make, the more money that you accumulate over the course of the marriage, the more likely that your case is going to be more expensive than that average of thirty thousand dollars a couple. So clearly, a million dollars. Does this mean this was either
3: a celebrity, well known, very influential, or just a very financially well off individual?
2: Yes, they had plen- tens of millions, yeah, tens you know, millions. to debate about. But yeah. yeah, it can get expensive real quick.
3: So, if did that person have a prenup? They did not have a prenup. And if they would have had a prenup, would they have spent a million dollars for the divorce? No chance. If I have a prenup in the state of Georgia, will I spend
2: $15,000 as a fee per per average? If you—a prenup can cover anything that has to do with asset division, dividing your assets and debts, and anything that has to do with alimony. A prenup cannot cover anything that has to do with child custody or child support. Um, But— Typically, if you are not fighting about financial issues where there is a potential payday, where there's money on the line that makes it worth it financially, mathematically to spend that money on attorney's fees. People are going to be much more likely to work out the issues with the kids, you know, and the child support versus, you know, if I if the court buys my argument, I could come up an additional million versus. You know, just settling the case. And so taking the money issues, taking asset and debt division off the table, taking alimony off the table uh, could save millions and millions of dollars nationwide if people would just get a prenup on the front end as a matter of course.
3: Now, you said something that a prenup doesn't cover. I didn't know that. So prenups doesn't cover uh, kids as far as in what parent gets what kid. Right.
2: Right, right. Okay. The prenup can't cover custody or child support. Okay, Custody has to be decided based on what is in the child's best interest okay. and what may be in the child's best interest. You know, before the child's even born, you know, how do you even determine Fact. what's going to be in a child's best interest? Somebody could go crazy. Somebody could turn out to be a great parent. Yeah. Someone could turn out to be an absentee parent. Right. And so the court is always going to retain the ability to make that decision. Uh, at the time that custody is being decided. And what about
3: child support? We can't talk about that up front in a prenup. Like, Hey, if we, if we have kids, I'll give you X of dollars per the kid. Or is it the same for the custody is like, you don't know what it's going to cost to take care of that kid because of the situation.
2: One, you don't know what the child's needs are going to be. You don't know what the resources of the parents and the ability to pay child support at that time are going to be. And you also don't know which parents going to have custody. You know, you're not going to be paying child support if the kids are living with you 95% of the time, right? right? So all of those things come into play, and that can only be determined at the time custody is being decided.
3: All right, cool. So on average, per average, the average person will spend, per spouse, will spend about $15,000 on a divorce if— there was a divorce. I think this is very important because the studies are showing, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're in this space, I think right now we're seeing 52% of American uh, people end up in a divorce. As far as I know, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. 52% of American marriages are ending up in divorces.
2: Yeah. I don't think there's super reliable okay. uh, data on it, but it is certainly more than 40%. Okay. Uh, sometimes it gets up to about 50%. You know, okay. the 1980s saw a 50% divorce rate, So... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. All right. So, $15,000 for
3: the average spend to a divorce. That's $30,000 to get a divorce between the two people. And we are having a problem with people saying, I want to get a prenup. And I think the reason why we're having a problem with people saying they want to get a prenup, one, is for the lack of education. And two, one of the most complaints that I hear is, I'm walking into my marriage without faith and already expecting it to fail. As someone, because they're watching right now, they're in a the comment saying that right now, right? As someone who's been in that space, um, what would you say to someone that come to you and say, well, my husband wants to get a, he wants to get a prenup, but I just don't, I, he's expecting something to fail. He's expecting us to fail in this marriage. What would you say as, as a human and then also as an attorney in this field?
2: Yeah, I, I love that you asked this question because you can't talk about prenups without talking about, the stigma and yes. the misconceptions yes. surrounding prenuptial agreements. Facts. And and that was that's what I thought before I got into family law. I thought the same thing that most, you know, of these people out Facts. here are thinking that, you know, that a prenup is just planning for your divorce. Yeah. Um but really what you're doing, you know, I think that a prenup should be looked at as a partnership agreement for your marriage. Mm. Right? Mm. If you're going to go into a business partnership. Facts with somebody, would you say, we'll just figure out who owns what percentage of the company if one of us leaves the company Mm. at the end of the day? No, you would probably have an attorney draft up an agreement and get very clear about what are each person's rights and responsibilities with respect to the business? Um, and yes, you would also define what happens if one of the partners leaves the business. Now you're not doing that because you want the business to fail. Facts. You're doing that so that you have clarity Facts. while the business is going on. You're drafting this partnership agreement so that things move smoothly while the business is happening. And I think that you should look at a prenup as the same thing. It is the partnership agreement for your marriage. Yeah. And uh, what I learned from over the course of doing uh, about a thousand divorces over the past two decades is that things don't go wrong They start wrong.
3: Mm, whoa, 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 whoa break that down Things don't go wrong. They start wrong. Well, how are we
2: starting wrong? So people don't know how to combine their financial lives particularly in today's world so um, my parents have been married for 57 years. They just celebrate 57 years together. Um, they got married in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. In the 1960s, the average couple getting married was getting married at, say, age 21. And uh, they were coming in a complete financial blank slate. Um, They probably maybe had one bank account between the two of them. Uh, Credit cards were not really a thing in the 1960s. Facts. Um, Student loans. You could work your way through school. They weren't, you know, six figures of student loans that people were taking out. Um, They likely had zero to one cars between them. Um, No equity in a home. No business. And you contrast that with the average couple who's getting married today. Mm -hmm. First of all, they're not getting married at 21, they're more likely getting married in their 30s. Mm -hmm. And that average couple is likely to have, each spouse is likely to have four to five bank accounts each three to four credit cards each, student loans in the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. Maybe they got some equity in a condo or a house. Maybe have has got their own car. They've got one or two retirement accounts because they didn't roll over the first, you know, to their current retirement account. Mm-hmm. They may have a small business. And so if the couple getting married in the 1960s is like a blank slate, they're like a startup mm-hmm. in their garage starting from complete scratch. The average couple getting married today, is like a corporate merger in Mm. terms of the complexity. Mm. And you would simply never do something of that magnitude without a clear agreement on what exactly is it we're signing up for? What's yours? What's mine? What's ours? How's the money going to flow? How are we gonna pay for expenses? Are we 50-50 on everything? Are we paying pro rata? Are we putting all of our money into one bank account? Do we have money going into separate bank accounts? It's something that is so complex. And the idea that people go into this just saying, I guess we deposit our income into the joint bank account now yeah. when they get married. It's no its no wonder yeah. that the divorce rate is so high. Yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster if you go into this willy-nilly. Mm. And so um, people have to be looking at it. Give respect to the complexity that combining your financial lives really is.
3: End of the show. God bless y'all. Listen, I... I I couldn't have said that any better you said things don't go wrong i'm saying marriages marriages don't go wrong they start wrong and what i heard you say right there was simply hey we're not having the real conversations up front are we going to be 50 50 are we going to be traditional marriages to where hey i'm gonna pay all the bills etc hey you can have this like this is what we're going to do inside of our family and one of the the quotes that i live by is that the breeding ground for understanding in the ending is communication in the very beginning. And people are not having the communication in the very beginning on hey, here's what we're doing with our finances. And because we didn't have that that conversation in the very beginning, it starts issues throughout the marriages and the next thing you know it's ending. Now why do you think it's hard for marriages? And I would even say this, even for dating, because I even did a a free book for dating um uh, on it wasn't a not a book. It's a I have a quiz. Um uh I have a quiz. No, I have a, I'm sorry, I don't have a quiz, I have an ebook. <laughs> I have an ebook and a quiz for single people on really how to start maximizing a single season and how to have the conversation about money while dating, right? And we'll we'll link that in today's show notes as well. Y'all can check that out. Um, It's called the uh, Singles um, Something Playbook Quiz or something like that. We'll, we'll link it down below so y'all can check it out because uh, it, it really does help bring up the conversation around money. But how do we start having that conversation in dating or in engagement so that way we don't start wrong, we start right? Because I think the first thing that's starting right is having that conversation. So from your expertise, me, talk about me. I'm single, right? I'm dating, when do I start having that conversation, so that way I don't start wrong?
2: Yeah, and, and what you said is so brilliant because it really comes down to that communication. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I talk about it in the book. There are three principles that I believe make for uh, a good prenup okay. and not coincidentally a good marriage. Ooh. So those three principles are transparency, yep. communication, and fairness. And
3: wow, well hold on, wait, fairness was the last one. Transparency, okay.
2: Communication, okay. And
3: fairness. I can't ride as quick as you all in communication. Yes, sir. So
2: what am I being transparent about? So you've got to be transparent about everything that has to do with your financial life. Talk that
3: talk. That's hard.
2: People don't want to be honest. People don't want to be honest. I mean, your own research that you've talked about recently says that 70% of couples aren't talking about money. No, they're not. And if those couples are getting married— look. Nobody wants to be surprised that you've got 50 grand of credit card debt. Nobody wants to be surprised to find out that you owe 25 grand to the IRS. And the first time that you find that out is when your tax refund is getting garnished Ooh. on that first joint tax return. Oh, 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 And so what we recommend is being transparent with your finances As soon as possible, when you're talking about engagement, because you really are creating a financial union and you're not going to sign up for a business partnership without knowing the fundamentals of the finances on the other side of the table. Right. And so we talk about, you know, for a prenup to be enforceable. And this is in all 50 states. Each spouse has to disclose all of their assets and debts to each other. And the way that we ensure this that this has happened is we literally create a net worth schedule for each spouse, spouse one, spouse two, you write down all of your assets and debts in black and white on paper, okay. and you initial each other's net worth statement. And this is difficult for a lot of people to to think about, to wrap their mind about, around, because I saw in my divorce work, couples that have been married 10, 20, 30 years, they have no idea what their spouse makes, what their, what their spouse has in assets, what their spouse has in debts, and that is a recipe for disaster. And it's tough because, you know, Talking about your finances to this kind of detail is not exactly first date material. Yes, You know, you're not going to show up to first date and slap down a spreadsheet (laughs) of your finances on the table. And then it becomes easy. You're trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to potentially pay for the dates. And so there's never a natural time to have that conversation of, by the way, my, my student loans are in the six figures or... You know, um, I haven't saved as much for retirement as I had hoped to retire. And people sometimes skip over that step and then they get married and then they combine their finances and, it's no wonder that was a ticking time bomb.
3: What's going on, everyone? It's your boy A.O. here, and I'm super excited to share some incredible news with you. On January 22nd through the 26th, we're launching a transformative movement called Pray FYI, short for Pray for Your Increase. We're believing 2024 will be the year we eliminate debt and build wealth. So real quick, I want to give you a sneak peek into what's happening January 22nd through the 26th. I want to encourage you to join myself and thousands of others in this week of prayer as we're diving into a series of powerful sessions, each focusing on a key aspect of financial well-being. Join this movement by visiting PrayFYI.com. You see, day one, we're focusing on debt reduction and financial stress. We'll be praying for wisdom to identify and eliminate unnecessary expenses, making room for your financial growth and stability. On day two, it's all about increase in salaries and business income. We'll come together and pray for guidance in pursuing career opportunities, promotions and the skills needed to boost our income. Day three is all about increase in wealth and investment opportunities. Let's pray for discernment and wisdom. We need this in making sound financial decisions that lead to long-term. I mean long-term. I mean generational prosperity. On day four, we're tackling boosting multiple streams of income. Together, we'll pray for creativity and opportunities to diversify our income streams, creating financial abundance. And finally, on day five, enhancing legacy. Let's pray for discernment and wisdom in making some sound financial decisions that lead to long-term prosperity. I wanna personally invite you to join me on this journey of financial and spiritual growth. Listen. Honestly, I can't wait to see you there. Visit PrayFYI.com to get started. I'll see you soon. So how do I, you know, I was talking to someone about 10 years ago. i want to say about 10 years ago. uh, She hid $100,000 in another account and never told her husband about it. Because she was like, I would never have a man marry me and then divorce me and I don't have no money. She said she never touched it. She said she kept it into a little CD. It just grew. She ended up getting divorced and she was so grateful that she had $100,000. And he never knew. Never knew. It came up in their divorce though. Because she was like, wait, I got I to reveal that I had his account? Because I guess it was going through something in a divorce. And so the judge asked her like, what are all of your accounts in your name? What are all the accounts in his name? And he was just thrown away that she had a hundred thousand in that account because a part of their issue was finances, and they lost their home because they were behind forty two thousand dollars in the mortgage, and she had a hundred grand just sitting in an account and wouldn't go there to help save their mortgage and I was like, "Yo, how did he not know you you had a hundred thousand dollars?" But why would you even do that? Like, did y'all not have this conversation before y'all got married? So what I hear you're saying is we make everyone list everything, and you have to be honest. But is there a way to make sure that they listed everything? Or is it,
2: is it just really you got to trust what they said? If you don't, if you were found not to have been honest about your financial disclosures when you're signing a prenup, yeah. then your prenup is unenforceable if the court finds that out. Ooh. So you've got, to, you've, got to put, you've got to be honest or you are risking that your agreement is not going to be enforceable at the end of the day. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up this couple that you're talking about because it is not unusual. And what I have found is that the financial dynamics of your marriage mm-hmm. dictate the personal dynamics of your marriage. If you have secrecy around money in your marriage... It is very easy for that secrecy to bleed out into it's other, other parts of your relationship.
3: Listen here, dear future wifey,
2: come correct.
3: Come telling me everything. Because I think I think that's the that's the foundation of the marriage is being transparent and honest. And let's be honest, it probably will be difficult for someone marrying me who knows I'm 100% debt-free telling me they got $200,000 in student loans. That probably will be a little uncomfortable, but I think— how could it be that uncomfortable with the person you're about to spend the rest of your life with? I should be able to accept everything and all things, you know. I, Like, be honest. I would rather, like you said, I would rather you tell me up front than I find out when when we go to file taxes. And I'm thinking I got to pay back X amount, but I got hit with an extra 30000 40000 because you never told me. That's going to piss me off. I'm going to be like, hey, how come you just didn't tell me this? Last year when we got married, let's be transparent. In the communication part, how do we start communicating that, though? Because one of the things that I that I found while I'm dating, and maybe I'm saying it too early. Maybe I am. I don't know. But it's like if you watch my show, you already know how I roll. But um, when do we communicate or how do we communicate that we want to have a prenup in place? And it doesn't make it seem like we don't trust The person who we're about
2: to and who we're thinking about marrying yeah yeah great question you know i have some advice that i think might be a little bit counterintuitive when it comes to bringing up a prenuptial agreement let's talk about it and that is don't lead with the word prenup okay you know i think we all recognize that the term prenup or prenuptial agreement carries a lot of stigma it carries a lot of weight it's heavy has a lot of misconceptions a lot of people they hear the word prenup and it brings to mind you know, the Hollywood version of the prenup, the athletes and the celebrities, and you know, you're an old rich guy and you're trying to keep your money from a young, you know, gold digging wife. That's what comes to people's minds when they think about a prenup, instead of this partnership agreement for your marriage. And so what I advise people to talk about is, what do you want your financial future to look like? What do you want to accomplish? You know, is it a good idea for us to be transparent about our finances coming into the marriage? Is it a good idea for us to get?
3: What's going on, fam? It's your boy, AO. And I got to talk to you about something near and dear to my heart, and that's representation. You see, growing up, seeing black voices in media was like finding gold in a mine. It showed me what was possible. People like Oprah, Steve Harvey, and even Malcolm X, they paved the way for folks like me to step into the spotlight. And now there's a new wave of black voices making extreme waves, and they're doing it on NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths. This collection is a celebration of blackness like none other. Each episode is like a journey through our shared experiences. Joy, resilience, empowerment, it's all there. From Bobby to Michelle Obama, they're covering it all. And let me tell you, Listening to these episodes, it's like sitting down with your fam and having a real talk about what it means to be black today. NPR is not holding back with this show. They're bringing you stories that matter, uh, stories that reflect the full spectrum of black life. It's like they say, stories should never be about us without us. So do yourself a favor and tune in to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR. It's not just a podcast. I'm going to be real with you. It's a movement. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts, and let's keep celebrating our stories and our truths. All right, let's get back to my show.
0: You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte.
2: clear about what belongs to you, what belongs to me, and what belongs to us as a couple. Um, Should we talk about how the money is going to flow in our relationship? Are we going to do what I call the inside out, where all of the income goes into one joint bank account and then each spouse gets kind of an allotment that goes out into your separate bank accounts? Or are we going to have our money go outside in? Our money goes into our separate bank accounts and we contribute to a joint bank account that pays for our truly joint expenses. Okay. Um, You know, are we going to prioritize retirement? You know, what are the things that we want to accomplish in our marriage? Do we want to buy a big home? Do we want to take two vacations a year? Mm -hmm. Um, My wife and I, our big thing is travel. And so we decided that ahead of time, that 5% of all income that comes in our household is going to go into a travel fund. So that whenever we want to take a trip, the money's there and the more that we make, the more we have to spend on our travel, right? And if you can focus on what your shared goals are together and get aligned on as many of these things as possible, and yes you should talk about what would happen if we didn't make it could we agree on what would be fair to happen if our marriage does not make it till death do us part can we make can we have that conversation while the love is high while the trust is high while communication is high while the respect is high rather than do what 40 to 50 percent of these couples do and they have that conversation slash argument when things are at an all-time low, and all of a sudden now you're spending 20 to 25 percent of your net worth on litigation costs and giving that money to divorce attorneys rather than dividing it between you and your spouse, Aaron,
3: I'm gonna say right here on, on my show, I've been doing it wrong. I've been doing it wrong. What I just heard you say was have a have a conversation about the vision. For the couple's money. And at, at on. In any kind of vision that you set, there's always the if the vision doesn't happen, how do we fix it? What do we do with it? And I think anyone watching right now, if you are presented with that, like, hey, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you, what are you doing with your finances now? You know, what are your goals financially? You know, how, what do you? What do you want to do financially? What do we want to do financially? Da 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 da. Do we want to travel? Do we want to build a home? Do we wanna set aside college funds? You know, do we wanna retire at sixty five? Da, da 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 da. Like how are we gonna accomplish these goals? And if you and I can't do this and, and hit this vision, how do we deal with that? If that comes. I don't I don't know too many people who genuinely love each other who would not want to have that conversation. I'm almost, I'm almost, I am almost, almost tempted to say, and I'm going to say it. If we have a love conversation for 90%, where it's all 90% good, and the last 10% is probably an uncomfortable conversation, like, if it doesn't, and you're like, no, I don't want to talk about that, I don't know if you love me. I don't don't know if you love me. You want to talk about everything great, which... On the flip side, I, I, I've i said this too publicly. We're talking about prenups today, but, man, this this is a good show. I hope y'all are getting this info because now I'm feeling convicted. I don't—I can't say this because I'm not a parent, right? So if I'm saying this wrong, please forgive me. I'm just trying to say the best way I know to say it. I have—I know that parents love their children, but to the extent to where you don't have a trust in place for your children— I question, do you know what you're doing? I know you love them, but it's like, do you really love them? You got a Gucci backpack, you got a Louis Vuitton purse, but you don't have a trust that clearly outlines what you want done with you, your resources, um, and your assets after they pass. So now you're leaving it into the hands of the government to tell your family, and your kids, and your loved ones what to do, but you didn't want to be uncomfortable to talk about your uh, what happens with you and your assets and your stuff after passing now it's like okay you're saying you want to get married to someone but you don't want to be uncomfortable to have a conversation that could save you both time and resources if it doesn't and i think honestly huh, prenups could save your marriage because if you don't want to if you don't want to have a conversation about a prenup i don't know if i want to get married to you and i just saved my marriage because it's like if you're willing to have an uncomfortable conversation that lets me know while we're married, you are willing to have uncomfortable conversations. This is some good stuff right here, y'all. We're gonna put this man's book uh, in the show notes. Um, Aaron and his his team, listen, listen to me. Aaron and his team do this in all fifty states. And I asked Aaron before the, the the before the show. I said, Aaron, how much does it cost? Do you charge per per couple per situation? And they pretty much have two basic costs. And correct me from wrong, Aaron here. It's thirty five hundred dollars for the average person in America to get a prenup. Then you have someone like say of my status or celebrity status or higher is going to solve for $10,000 because now you're dealing with millions and assets and different things. And he has to talk with other um, other like my financial advisor, my CPA, my stuff like that. He has to do all that type of stuff, right? The average marriage in America is right about $28,000 to $32,000. And you can't spend 10% of that to just make sure, like, hey, as we're going in, this is right. Because here's the truth. We're seeing marriages end 25 years later, 30 years later. I am positive. I am. I'm turning 40 this year. The 70-year-old Anthony O'Neill is going to be a different version of the 40-year-old Anthony O'Neill. And I'm putting it on me. Now, when I get married at 40, I, I mean, I, that's to death to his part. I'm going to keep it above. I mean, you know, I fight it 40 years. You're to have to kill me. <laughs> but I am going to change between now and 70 years old. And that could be a little different for, for someone else. And the person she married at forty is not going to be the person she's married to at seventy. I would have evolved. I would have grown, matured, hopefully at seventy. But here's the truth: people do change, and you do not divorce the person you married. And so, if three thousand five hundred dollars is a is a is a problem to protect your marriage, to protect you and your assets, I have a problem with that. I, I genuinely do. And so, I want to encourage you all to check out the show notes. Check out my friend here, Aaron, and his team. And if you're getting engaged this year, if you're getting married this year, um, I want to encourage you to make sure you get a prenup. So I feel this on my spirit right now. I'm a, spirit, I'm a saved person. Um, Aaron, someone, someone is saying right now, but I'm, I'm a Christian— And I feel like if I sign a prenup, I don't have faith. Like I believe that my marriage is just going to end. What would you say to
2: that? I would say to look at it as the best insurance policy you could ever get. I like it. If you go and get car insurance, Mm -hmm. does that mean that you're going to be a reckless driver from then on? You're going to go out and start driving recklessly? We get life insurance. Does that mean that you're going to begin living a reckless life and, you know, take risks with your life? We get house insurance, but we don't leave the stove on and let our house burn down. Yeah, yeah. We have insurance yeah. that protects against basically every major financial catastrophe that can happen to you in life. And make no mistake, divorce is a financial catastrophe is. that is best avoided at all costs. Mm-hmm. And if you can take that potential catastrophe off the table, For a fraction of the cost of one wedding day. Mm. Mm. I mean, doesn't, doesn't it make sense mm. to do that and then hope that you never need it, but know that you and your spouse have clarity and that you've come to an agreement about what would be fair mm-hmm. should your relationship ever come to an end? Mm-hmm. And you can do it in a way that doesn't cause financial catastrophe, that allows you to continue to co-parent your children mm. because you didn't just spend two years in a courtroom slinging mud at each other yeah. and wasting 25% of your assets yeah. to divorce attorneys. It is, it is a small price to pay for the peace of mind and the clarity around your finances and taking the government out of your financial partnership with your spouse and defining it on your own? I have a lot of people in their 20s right now.
3: And let's just be honest, like 20 year they don't really have a lot. They got a decent job. You know, they may have a, a nice little car. may only have maybe about a couple thousand dollars in their bank account, but they got a big vision. But they don't have a lot of assets right now. But they have a big vision, right? Working a normal nine to five job, should they sign? Should they get a prenup at twenty five years old, uh, with not much assets?
2: Yes. Well, because what makes what you're trying to do is take this this expensive, crazy, soul crushing, family killing divorce off the table, taking the possibility of that off the table. And what makes divorce expensive and messy isn't what you have coming in. A lot of people think you have to have all of these premarital assets to protect. What makes the divorce messy is what you accumulate over the course of the marriage. Mm -hmm. And so if you were on an upward trajectory, if you were going to accumulate assets over the course of the marriage, Mm -hmm. how could it not be in your best interest to figure out what belongs to you, what belongs to your spouse, and what is part of your marital empire together and get clear on that on the front end of your marriage. And even if you never split up, knowing what belongs to whom is something that is important to know in a successful relationship. So, Aaron, someone
3: coming to you young, 22, they don't have nothing. Do you just recommend them just to go ahead we're just gonna split it down the middle? Or do you sometimes say, hey, maybe it is 60, 40, 30, 70, whatever that is. But how do you how do you have that conversation as an attorney?
2: Yeah, great question. So what we typically do are title-based okay. agreements, meaning what is in your name belongs to you, what is in your spouse's name belongs to them, and what you choose to put in joint names belongs to the two of you. And if everything ever happened, that joint bucket is gonna be split 50-50 between the two of you. And what that does is it gives you the flexibility to grow without having to come back and revise your agreement every two years when I financial circumstances change. So if you start a business, But this is just going to be my side project. I want to, you know, I'm going to own the business. I'm also going to shield you from the debts and potential liabilities of the business. Uh, Then I'm going to put that just in my name. But if we're going to get a rental property and we're going to operate it together, it's going to be a joint project. Then we put that in joint names. And you can have the flexibility of titling things the way that you want them to be treated throughout your marriage without having to come back and revise your partnership agreement.
3: I see what you just did right there. Because at the beginning of the show, you said, once we get married, if I start a business... With no prenup, she's entitled to some of that proceeds because she's my spouse. But you're saying inside of the prenup, we will say, hey, yes, she's entitled to that per the state, right? But in the prenup, you agreed, if we put this solely in Anthony O'Neill's name only and you're not on it, if we were to divorce, I keep 100% of that proceed. Am I hearing that correctly? That's exactly right. But if we start a business together with Anthony and Sarah, for an example, right, now, we split that 50% because we're starting off. But if Sarah goes out there and she buys a rental property that she wants to own, yes, the family is benefiting right now from the proceeds of both of that. But if we were to separate, Sarah would keep that house when 100%.
2: That's exactly right. Ooh. And everyone knows exactly where they stand at any, any given point in the relationship.
3: That is so good. And it's clear. And I'm thinking about myself like would I ever want to start something without my wife on there? That's, that's where I'm at because it's like, dang, I've been want my wife on everything. But I, I, I also now knowing what I know, just because my wife is not on it doesn't mean she doesn't benefit from it financially. And inside of my trust, although I'm not on it, she can still be the beneficiary of it or she can still get it inside of my estate planning. If something was to pass, but then it also does protect from a perspective of if divorce.
2: And it can also go the other way, It can protect against debts. So, you know, if your spouse goes and takes out a loan or a credit card without your knowledge, you're not going to be on the hook for splitting that down the line. Or maybe you want to take out a loan for a business that may or may not work out and you want to shield your spouse from the potential liability of that. You can do the same thing and take that loan out only in your name. And I also think that it is particularly useful for business owners to yes. be thinking about it, a prenuptial agreement.
3: Would you agree that, okay, you just said it. Cause I'm about to say with me being a business owner, am I making an unwise decision by not having a prenup with me having
2: a multiple seven figure business? Absolutely. Business owners are the most important category of people that should have a prenup or a postnup. And this is why but every other asset a post-nup in there. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about post Okay, go ahead. Every other asset that you have that could potentially be divided in a divorce has a reasonably reliable way of coming up with a value on it, okay. right? If you have a house... You can go get an appraisal yep. and figure out what it's worth. And two different appraisers could value it and come up with different figures, but they're going to be in the same ballpark, yeah, yeah. right? If you have a car, you can just go to Kelly Blue Book and get an estimate. Bank accounts are worth what's in them. Retirement accounts or brokerage accounts, you can apply you know, a discount for the tax rate, but you can figure out what that is worth. A business is the one type of asset where one business valuation expert could look at this business and say uh, – Anthony, you own this business, but without you, it's worth nothing. You can't sell it to somebody else. No one else could run it the way you were, you, you were running it. Mm-hmm. So it's really worth zero. And another business valuation expert could look at that exact same business, the exact same profit and loss and balance sheets, and say, we're looking at the 12-month trailing revenue of this business, and we're going to apply a multiple of, of X, and your business is worth $5 million. And if you've got one side saying this business is worth zero and the other side is saying this business is worth five million and my share of it is two point five million. That case is going to court and you're going to spend lots and lots of money on the litigation because all of a sudden it's worth a swing of two point five million dollars one direction or the other. And if the court finds that you have to split that, what are the chances that a five million dollar business has two point five million dollars cash? to pay out the spouse, and so I've seen business owners who don't have prenups have to file bankruptcy, have to sell their business to pay out the settlement, and it causes such a disaster that, if you are a business owner, it is almost malpractice to not be thinking about having a prenup or a postnup in place.
3: Let's talk about postnup. Postnup simply means after you're married, you have quote-unquote, a prenup, which is technically called a post-nup, because you, you're already married. Are those hard conversations to have? Because I don't know, I'm just going to be real with you, keep it a buck. I don't know too many black sisters that's going to, if I go to them laying in the bed, bae, we need a post-nup. That's a hard sell after marriage, because automatically all of our minds are going to, are you about to divorce me? Is there something coming up I need to know about? And like, how do you bring—how do you deliver that in a
2: good way to your to your spouse, man or a woman? Yeah. So let's break down the reasons that somebody might be getting a post Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. So first is there's a category of people who they wanted to get a prenup— they got caught up in the wedding planning, you know, time got away from them, and they're just get basically getting their prenup, but they got it after the date of the wedding. You okay. know, and they're on the same page, and, and they're good with it. Um, and then there are couples who um, something has happened. Maybe there's been some infidelity mm-hmm. in the relationship. And the couple says, I want to work on this relationship, but I left my career five years ago to come home and stay with the kids, and now if you leave me with this other person, I'm just supposed to be out there hanging out to dry. And so let's come up with an agreement. I want to work on the relationship, but I need to secure it on the financial front that mm-hmm. all of these things are going to be in the hours column. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get 50 percent of all of these assets if mm-hmm. things go wrong. And, yes, I'm actually going to, I'm also going to get some alimony mm-hmm. to bridge the gap from me being financially dependent on you mm-hmm. to being financially independent myself. OK. okay. Right. Okay. And so there are. There are post-nups that happen because something has happened and they want to work on the relationship. They want the marriage to work out, but they need to resolve something on the financial front. And I think that's fair. Um, And then there's a category of people who they recognize that I signed a contract and I'm living in complete you know, a completely different life from that contract. So there are couples who, they've kept their financial lives mostly separate. Mm. And one person may have a business and the other one has a retirement and they view their retirement as, this is my retirement. And the other spouse says, this is my business. And they're listening to this show right now. And they're realizing that the court is not gonna respect that division of assets and debts that they are assuming is in place. Right. And so they need a post Maybe nothing's wrong with the relationship at all, but they want to post-nup so that their legal reality matches their lived reality. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I like those three right there. Especially
3: the other one, man, because I think that's fair. Like, if, if a young lady or a young man, you know, leave their careers to come be home and they are relying on this the, the high-earning spouse, you know, a post-nup is needed. In the state of Georgia, is this true that people— if you live together for a certain amount of time you could get cert- certain amount of the assets because y'all live together y'all played husband and wife for a certain amount of time is that the case in georgia not anymore not anymore
2: Ooh. yeah so common law marriages have oh. basically been abolished across the country i bet yeah hey
3: man because i was like man out man that's whack oh, thank God that's not there anymore, because that, that was, that had me scared when I heard someone say they, was, they were living together for 10 years, and they got 50% of all assets. But this was like, I was in my 20s, young 20s. So that, that's, that's really good. Um, why would you say, Aaron, and when I look at this book, I was reading one of, the, or one of your, I want to go back to it. Where is it at? Um... In, in your book, you talk about pretty much uh, tact, timing, and talk. And, and I like that, tact, timing, and talk. Talk to me about tact, though. What do you mean by tact?
2: Tact is not walking up to your fiancé and saying, I want a prenup. Which goes back to what you were saying
3: earlier. Have the vision meeting first. What's your goals, etc. Then bring that up. Timing, you know, you never said that. When should we have that conversation?
2: I think that conversations about money need to be far more normalized. Absolutely. Between dating couples. Absolutely. It should not be just on the verge of engagement that you are finding out, you know, what your spouse is, what your future spouse's financial picture looks like. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, um, It should be, in my view, and I know in your view, it should be early and often. You should not be getting down on a knee and proposing to marry somebody without knowing, you know, what their financial life looks like. And, you know, we talk about this idea of people who are getting married uh, in this day and age. They're older. They're, you know, they're in their 30s. They might be in their 40s going into their first marriage and how much you've accumulated in assets and debts by that time in your life. But the other thing that goes under the radar is what your financial habits that you've built up over the course of your life that might be even more important than the assets and debts that you've accumulated that at that point in your life is what are your financial habits are you the kind of person who maxes out their 401k every year do you carry debt on your credit cards or do you pay them off in full every month are you investing in you know the s p 500 or is all your money in crypto you know those kinds of things are the types of financial misalignments that break apart relationships every day. Yeah, And so um, having those kinds of conversations about what your financial practices are is something that you can start early in the dating process without laying out your spreadsheet showing all of your net worth on the table. Um, and then it makes all the conversations that follow after that much easier when you've already Exercise the muscle of communicating about your finances. Yes. No,
3: I I, I 100% agree. And we will definitely put a link to um, how to have a hard conversation with your while dating uh, when it comes to finances. Um, I came up with a whole, like, 20-page ebook on, hey, here's how to bring up the conversation at dinner, at coffee, in a car, driving to music, walk on a picnic, or walk on a park, or at a picnic, or anywhere, because – that's just one thing I believe we struggle with. We struggle with asking the hard questions in a comfortable way. Now, I don't think it's ever going to be 100% comfortable to, to talk about money because a lot of us have made bad money decisions. But I do believe, like you said, if we can have the money conversations up front, we quickly know if we're aligned or we're not aligned. And alignment doesn't mean that they're good. It just means, that, okay, cool, we're on the same page. All right, you got out of this debt. What do we need to do to start working on this debt now, okay and um what what are your goals with this debt like do you want to bring it into the marriage? you have credit cards? do you want to keep credit cards? so you know we, how do we get on the same page in the same alignment and I like and i i just I don't understand from your expertise as we're as we're closing out the show outside of not really understanding prenups. The definition of what a prenup is outside of um, the negative stereotype of the word prenup. Why do you think is what do you think is the real reason why people are scared of prenups, scared to come sit down with you and have the conversation about a prenup?
2: I think that talking about money is just so taboo Yeah, and people just have a really hard time breaking down that wall and having these conversations, you know, in society, it somehow has become such that it is easier for us to get physically naked mm-hmm. with our partner than it is to get fiscally naked mm-hmm. with our partner. And having these conversations, I think that you've got to approach it from it's a no judgment zone. Mm-hmm. You are wherever you are in your financial life. Mm-hmm. And we're going to sit down. And we're going to talk about it. It's not going to be any judgment. This is just the reality of where we are. And then once we've broken down that wall and we've gotten transparent, then we can start having the communication. We can start having the conversations about how do we bring our financial lives together so that we're aligned, so that we can avoid the pitfalls of the financial arguments that break apart half of marriages today.
3: So, Aaron, if I come to you with my spouse, um, uh, I hear some people say that I should have a prenup attorney, she should have her own prenup attorney, and we go back and forth together make sure it's right. Your company, it's one attorney handling both sides.
2: Is that safe? No, no. So we can only legally represent one side okay. of the transaction. Okay. Um, a lot of people will come to us because they like our philosophy. Yeah. They like that we are about saving marriages and not just planning for your divorce. Right. And so they'll make sure that I am, you know, my office is drafting at least the first draft of the agreement, okay. but we can only legally represent one side. My view is that you wanna minimize the number of conversations and all the back and forth between the attorneys because Absolutely. that's where you start racking up you know, these unnecessary fees and there starts to get, you know, the communication that should be happening between the spouses right. can't happen between the attorneys. That's just an inefficient way to go about this process. I think that couples should get as educated as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm biased, but I would love for people to read the book right. and find out as much as they can about prenups and decide what works for them yeah. in their financial contract, their financial relationship, and then what you were doing is you were taking something that you and your fiance have already agreed to. You're taking that into, to an attorney so that they can just draft up and translate into legalese what you and your spouse have already agreed to.
3: So so you do agree that let's say if I come to you and I retain your services, but I'm coming to you for me and my spouse, you're cool with us not getting her an attorney or should she still have an attorney to read over what we draft up specifically to cover her. Or are you saying, no, I mean, if you all did your proper research, if you read my book for an example, you've done some other research and you all come to me saying, this is what we want. And if I draft it up, it's it's good.
2: A lot of people do that because they've come to an agreement on their own. Got you. Um, so they don't need to hire a second attorney, but I will never discourage somebody from talking to their own advisor yeah. and having somebody that can advise them on you know, what are their concerns? Yeah. You know, my concerns are not going to be your concerns. Right. Right. What keeps you up at night? What are the things that you want to protect against? What are the things that, that, you know, that you're fearful of in terms of your financial future and be able to advise you independently of me advising yeah. one side. Um, and hopefully it is a conversation of how can we come together and get aligned and not a negotiation of I win if you lose and you win and I lose. Yeah. Um, it should be a coming together, something that you can both benefit and agree to.
3: So we come to you. We get the legal paperwork drafted up. She may get her attorney to write it. He may get her attorney to write it, et cetera. But we get it. Once we get a piece of paper back to you, uh, we got to get it notarized. And it just sits. Like Where does it sit? I know like my estate, My my law firm has a copy of my estate. And then I have a copy of my estate as well. Is that the same thing with a prenup? The the state has a copy of it, and I have a copy of it. How does that
2: work? Yeah, we recommend that couples sign two original copies. Okay. Uh, you got to get it notarized. In some states, you also have to have witnesses, so you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you're up on your local laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Each spouse can keep a copy and then usually a copy will go to the attorney as well. So that, um, you know, and and most people keep them in a lockbox or, you know, wherever you keep your safe documents, um, you keep it there. And uh, the attorney will have a copy as well so that hopefully it is never needed. But if you do need it, then, you know, you got it.
3: Yeah, man. You know, the hardest thing I did in my life was January of last year was when I signed my estate plan and I have no no kids, nothing at all. And oftentimes when I talk to some of my peers and friends, I'm like, yo, you need to get an estate plan. You need to, you know, get a prenup if you're not getting married Um, um, and even do postnums if you're already married. Uh, Well, we're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. And I just feel as if sometimes people don't want to have the hard conversations. And I would definitely be honest when I did my full estate plan, it wasn't easy at all. There was nothing fun about talking about my death. And there's going to be nothing fun talking about the possibility of my marriage ending. But I would definitely say when I get sick now, I don't like it. But at least I know if I do go home to be with the Lord, at least I know my family is going to be good. And they're not going to be arguing the state. is not going to be telling them what they should and shouldn't do with my stuff. I took some time to be selfless and to think about my loved ones. And they are good. And I want to be selfless to where if I do get a divorce. And let's be honest, can I just be transparent? I'm a man of character and integrity, but hurt people do hurt things. And I don't want to be so hurt that I lose my integrity in that process, that I didn't do what was fair because I was hurt. And if I had this piece of paper here, I I just you know whatever that piece of paper say, do it. I, I ain't got time for it. We got kids. What you want to do? Fifty fifty? All right, bet. Let's do it. Get out of my face. If we gonna get a divorce, you know what I'm saying? It's like I don't I don't want to be hurt. Like, oh no, girl, you ain't getting nothing. No, you did. No, man. Because I think I think hurt people hurt people. And then when we recover, we gotta come back and apologize for our hurt. When we would have had a prenup in place. We just probably, with attitude, say, whatever the piece of paper say. Let's, let's just get it over with so I can move on with my life.
2: Yeah. You're not just protecting against what your spouse may do. You're protecting against your future self as well.
3: Yes, man. And
2: that's, and that's just me being transparent, you know, because
3: I'm human. And when I'm hurt, I'm not the best. I don't think no one is the best individual. And so this is, this is just great. So you guys, listen. We are going to put um, his book into today's show notes, and I want to encourage you. I think, I think some of the healthiest marriages in the world have the the uncomfortable conversations. Uh, I'm going to be reading this book. He just gave me my my signed book, um, and um, I'm going to read this so that that way I can become more educated uh, on this because we couldn't have the full conversation uh, on today's show. But I would encourage you, if you're seriously looking into marriage, if you're seriously um, dating someone you're serious about, and if you seriously value love and marriage, hey, get this book and have a real conversation. And no, listen, I don't care what your girlfriend or boyfriend say. Talking about a prenup does not mean the marriage is not going to work. Talking about a prenup doesn't mean you love them less. Talking about prenups doesn't mean that, you know, you don't, you don't believe it can last. No talking about a prenup. It's just like, Hey, I want to make sure that you and I can start our marriage off. Right. That's it. That's it. Before you go buy a car. I just paid cash for a car. They still wanted my insurance. My insurance card. I was like, bro, it's mine. I'm not financing it. It They're like, no, 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 no. We we just want you to get into the car. Right. If you drive off the lot and someone else hits you, you are covered. And I said, well, thank you for helping me protect me. And that is the quote of the day. A prenup is the best insurance you will ever have in your life. And I pray that is one insurance policy that I never have to use. I pray. I actually pray that about my car insurance, and I've had to use it. (laughs) I haven't used my home insurance yet, but I pray I never have to use my home insurance. But I still pay for that thing every single month. Health benefits, God knows I don't want to use that thing. But I still pay for it. But this is one thing that I'm going to pay in one lump sum up front. And pray that I never have to cash it in. And I pray that's the same thing for you. We all want marriages to work. We all want our marriages to last. Heck, partnership and union is important. I can't wait to get married because I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be a healthier man. I'm going to be a wiser man. I'm going to have a whole lot of fun. But I also want to make sure that, you know, we do start it off right. So we'll drop his uh, company's website, you guys in the show notes, go check them out. Um, If you all wanna check them out to get a prenup started, hey, $3,500 is very, very affordable, uh, especially from a man of his caliber. Get the book, read it with your spouse, read it with the person who you're dating and ask those questions, maybe highlight them. And then once y'all get on uh, with um, Aaron or someone from his company and his team, uh, ask the right questions. So that way you're educated, because that's important. So you can know exactly what you're signing into. But you know, when I get married, I'm going to Aaron, y'all. He's going to be my prenup up attorney. Yo, it's your boy, Anthony O'Neill. Love you all. See you on the next show. Peace out.
2: to the You can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte after getting a Chime checking account with features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, no minimum balance requirements, and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts.